Yeah, scams are never good. So, what else is going on in the news? And the Amazon's burning. Amazon's burning? Oh, the Amazon in in where? Brazil. Oh, the Amazon rainforest. Okay, yeah, I saw this. Um, they said that you can actually see it from space. That's how much of an impact the deforestation is having that you can see it from space, you know. What do you guys think about, you know, like climate change? Is that, is that legit? I mean, I think it's very real. yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I just think it's, it's been going on for like billions of years. I don't think nothing in the earth is constant. It's like right. natural things cause climate change. It, you know, yeah. You know, that snowball earth at one point and a fire. Well, I'll say this, whether or not it's man-made or not, I believe it's something that is a real issue and that we should try to do something, even if we can't, we should try to do something to try to uh, offset the devastation because uh, the ice caps and icy places on the, on, around the caps, like uh, Greenland, there's like tons, billions of gallons of water that's dumping off of these big ice constructions. and. Uh, it's going to cause massive sea level rise, and most of the world's population lives in coastal zones, and so it's just going to cause a mass exodus from those zones, and some places are going to be more impacted than others. There's a map you can go to online and look at what the devastation impact is from sea level rise, and you can, like, scroll it and zoom in and zoom out of the water, you know, coming in, and it looks like, like Florida just disappears, you know, and like California just disappears, and a lot of, like, you know, parts of the East Coast just disappear, because some are lower than others, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, we have to start thinking about, like, long-term sustainability, like, the idea of us as a species going to another planet to live, it's not far-fetched, but it's just, it's such a huge undertaking that it's not going to happen in our lifetime, probably. And it's probably not going to happen in our kids' lifetime. So we need to start thinking about keeping it together on this planet. And I'd hate to be in the, you know, a situation where we have to create biodomes and live inside of these, you know, like, like kind of like a hamster inside a city, you know, running around because it's so arid and bad outside, you know. Even going out and something like, I mean, I, I don't know. You know. I can tell, like, qualitatively there's a difference between going outside now than when I was a kid, you know, in the summer. You guys feel me on that? I don't know, I mean, yeah, yeah you walk outside, like, in, when I was a kid in the summer, it was hot, but now it's just like, oh my God, you know, I need to get somewhere before I dehydrate and die, you know, so like, I mean, yeah, it's just brutally, oh, well, you see the heat, and the heat index is like 100 to 110 sometimes, it's like, you know, that's, that's brutal, so. So what else is going on in the news? No, I hadn't noticed this. Oh, okay, yeah, that's where Walnut Creek is. Yeah. It's yeah. like, if you look behind the tree line or whatever, it's like a big old building that Amazon's been like a big concrete building. Is it? I wonder, it's probably just a office building. It like, like yeah. Like, right. Um, I wish we had won the, con the bid for them to build their new, you know, complex because I think somewhere in New York got it, you know, yeah. somewhere... And they were saying, why would you bring jobs to a place that already has so much commerce? You know, you should go open up somewhere that needs a lot of these jobs. Because it was like 50,000 jobs. And that would have been a, such a huge boom for any economy. People were throwing money at Amazon saying, we'll give you 
millions of dollars in tax subsidies just so you open up your shop in our neighborhood because it'll bring so many people to the neighborhood. It'll, it'll increase our tax base. Uh, just be, it'll bring other commerce, you know. Once you build a, like, you, this is the Walmart effect. Once you build a Walmart, what happens? All these other stores jump on board and they, they build a, a shopping center around that Walmart store. And the reason being because they know that's a, a foot traffic draw. And the hardest part of business is getting people to just walk in, you know, stop by. If you are a sole proprietor, you got a small business and you have a physical retail shop, having people just actually walk in the door You've already won such a big challenge to get people to walk in. Does anybody, speaking of which, does anybody go downtown Goldsboro and just walk around? Have you seen the new, like what they've done downtown Goldsboro? Yeah, please go check it out because I'm very impressed. And it's hard to impress me. It really is. Like, I have to, like, notice something substantially different. And when you go downtown Goldsboro, like I'm talking about where the Paramount Theater is, uh, it is just, like, night and day difference from 10 years ago. I mean, they have really stepped it up and put a major multi-million dollar investment in downtown Goldsboro. And so you could tell, and people, when you walk, also when you're there, you see people hanging around. I see pictures, people getting pictures taken. I see people walking. I see people in cafes and restaurants and coffee shops. So the reason why they did this is to draw people in. Uh, but for me, there's so many shops that I've never set foot in. I just, I, I'm different, you know, like my wife, I could probably like, you know, take her and I sit on the bench and she have a great day just walking and going to all these shops and looking. I'm not a shopper. I'm a, I'm a typical guy. I go buy what I need and I get out. You know, like it's like Mission Impossible. I know what I need to get. I'm just going to go grab it and then I'm out before I'm noticed. I even like time myself, like the dad in Christmas Story, how fast I can change the tire. It's how fast I can get out of the store. Seriously, I'll be back in six minutes. You know, it's like boom, in and out. I just, you know, I don't know, shopping, I'm just not a big shopper, you know, because I'm an online shopper. You guys feel me on that? You like Amazon? Yeah. You go, you, you get what you want, you know, find everything. It's just so much more convenient. And so, but that's why we're seeing these massive shifts in business demographics or the way business is done. Um, we lost, what, K, the toy store, KB Toys, was it not KB Toys, but Toys R Us? Yes. Yeah, KB's was a while back, but K, yeah, Toys R Us, that was kind of like a, that was like a icon store. Yes. You know, I, you know, and I feel bad because I didn't support Toys R Us that much, but you go in there and prices are kind of expensive, you know, but they do have everything, you know, you see anything that you want. But yeah, we lost Sears. I mean, Sears locally closed uh, and that was over a hundred year old company. What's that? Payless. Yeah. Kmart. Yeah. I saw where I think uh, Best Buy's closing some stores and there was another one. Oh, um. Well, GameStop, I read this yesterday. GameStop is, is laying off 100 people, including their editor of their magazine. So, yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. There's a movie gallery in the mall? It's a movie gallery in a few malls, actually. Oh. It's crazy. I don't know how they is it, is it a rental store? It's still the same movie gallery. So they rent DVDs and Blu-rays? I haven't been in there. Oh, okay. I don't know how they're still. Wait, like, Berkeley Mall, right? Yes, Berkeley. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a store, and like for people that love like movies, oh, like, they sell like Chucky dolls. I see. Like, okay, so it's not movie gallery, the rental store. Okay. It's like it's, it's weird. It's, I don't know if it's changed. Like, you know, Blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of similar to that. Okay. Wow. But I don't know if they even still sell like movies. Right. I think they do. They probably yeah. They probably still do. <laughs> it's just crazy. They they laugh it. 
Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of money in just the properties. You know, um, I think I read somewhere that since uh, Disney has bought Marvel, I mean, it's like they've already. Well, no, it was it was either Star Wars or Marvel. I know they own both properties, but they've already they've already paid for the property since in just billions of dollars of like toy sales and other merchandise that they've already done. So. Um, all this does tie right back into the main topic here of business, though, and of management. And so we were just talking about companies that didn't make it. And guess why they didn't make it? Was it, it wasn't because they didn't have market share. It wasn't because they didn't have money and resources. It wasn't because they didn't have a customer base already built in. People went to Toys R Us. People went to Blockbuster. People went to Movie Gallery. People went to Sears. And some people, that was their favorite store to go into. So, what do you think led to those companies collapsing? It's uh, not keeping up with like the time. Right. The so you're you're on the path. The main what I was going for is bad management decisions. So you could do everything right for a hundred years, like in Sears' case, they did it. You know, doing a lot of the right things. Uh, that used to be the go-to place. Like Kmart used to be the go-to place. So you could do everything right. And then all of a sudden find yourself in an environment where you didn't keep up with the times, you didn't identify opportunities, you didn't identify threats, and now you're on the chopping block and you're heading towards bankruptcy. And so... Is that how, uh, is that how businesses get like foreclosures? Yeah, well, businesses, uh, they, they go into bankruptcy and uh, every situation is unique. Some of, sometimes fraud's involved, sometimes it's just... Their, uh, their customer base is, is, is diminishing because a competitor is doing it better. And that was the case with Blockbuster. You know, Blockbuster was the place. That was a destination, you know. In fact, I used to go like, I used, I'm sorry, I used to like to go to the store just to browse, you know, see what's, see what's available. And uh, my first date with my wife, we went to a movie gallery and just walked around for like 30 minutes an hour looking at movies, talking about movies. And so Netflix came along and just blew them away. And by the, they tried to adapt. Well, at least Blockbuster tried to adapt. Blockbuster tried to do mail order DVDs like Netflix did. Did anybody used to do that? The disc in the mail, the red envelope. Remember this? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Blockbuster tried to do it, but it was already too late. Everybody had already jumped on the Netflix DVD bandwagon, you know. And but here's a critical thing that happened to Netflix. Uh, they could have went under if they hadn't have adapted to streaming really quickly. They said, look. You know, everybody's doing the disc subscription, and I was a disc subscriber, but they said, we see streaming is going to be where the future is, and so they aggressively jumped into streaming, and not only did they aggressively jump into it, they also jumped into original content, which I think most people will say is, is their wheelhouse. What's your favorite Netflix original content? You know, any, anybody have you, like Stranger Things, anybody like that? Yeah. I like the originals. Like, yeah, what, what do you like? What's your favorite? I used to like House of Cards until the Kevin Spacey thing, and then the last season, I couldn't even watch it. I was just like, eh, I can't watch it. American Gods? No, but I've heard good things. That's not a, that's not a Netflix original, is it? I think so. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Anybody else like anything? Netflix originals? No? I watched Orange is New Black, but I couldn't, I hadn't finished it. Anybody else watch that? Yeah. yeah, you've seen it? I hadn't got to the end, though, so... Well, this first chapter, Managing and Performing, um, I'm going to do a little recap to get us back to where we were talking about. And I do recaps just to kind of 
get into your mind, you know, what we've been talking about, but also uh, give you an extra exposure to the information. So we talked about on Monday what managers do to help organizations achieve top performance, what are the roles that managers play in organizations, and what are the characteristics that effective managers display. So uh, we're going to come back to these at the end of the chapter and see what we've learned since we've uh, started here. So we talked about Mitzberg's seminal study of managers and their job. He found the majority of them clustered around three core management roles. Anybody remember what those roles are? Informational, interpersonal, and decisional. So, what what do we say informational was? What is an informational role? So, get to know people and get information. What did you say? Like knowing things? Yeah. So, informational is, you don't necessarily need to be the smartest person in the room, but if you're the manager, you need to know what's going on, uh, what you need to do to accomplish the goals for today and in the short term. Management, we talked about management leadership. What did I say management was about? Anybody remember? That's correct. So management's about getting things done. Leadership's about seeing the bigger picture. And so using the example we just talked about leading into the conversation, looking at companies like Blockbuster, managers of a Blockbuster have some influence over you know how the company operates but really at the end of the day it's very little their job as a manager of an individual blockbuster store is to get the store open deal with customers deal with inventory you know payroll all that kind of stuff make sure employees are doing what they're supposed to be doing cleanliness you know opening and closing checklists that kind of stuff so their function is to operate that individual location make sure things are done efficiently um, when it comes to leadership that's where the breakdown occurred with the company. They, the leadership, the higher-ups said, man, we're making all this money, we're doing well, we're the number one provider of rental movies in the United States. That's big, you know, we're top, we're top. And so they couldn't foresee in the environment anybody coming to dethrone them. But in, in business terms, them falling from grace was a violent occurrence. I mean, it happened swiftly, and like just very uh, dynamically. There's actually a theory we'll talk about at some point in the class. It's called punctuated equilibrium theory, um, PEQ or PET, punctuated equilibrium theory. And what that means is basically is that companies, for the most part, go through cycles of long durations or stints of kind of normal business. Things are kind of normal. And then they go through short bursts of change where things happen very quickly and all of a sudden you have to uh, get, get used to a new set of circumstances. And in our lives we go through that too, right? So for a while we might, you know, be going to college, this is a normal thing we do for a couple of years, then we graduate, then all of a sudden, oh it's job, you know, look for a job, then we might be getting a new job and then we might be uh, going through training and learning things. So things happen pretty quickly um, when those, those changes occur, but for the most part, our lives are kind of consistent, you know. We, we go through periods of uh, where we just, you know, kind of existing, and businesses do the same thing. Um, and you want that. You want consistency because consistency gives people comfort. They like to know, hey, I'm going to do this today, and this is how today's going to play out, and I feel good about that. Um, there's a quote about change. People don't like change. They just don't. It, what's that? It's 
hard. Yeah, it's hard for people. And why do you think it is hard for people to go I mean, through change? You get used to it. It's like when I told you I hurt my back. When right. I, I mean, uh, I don't know if you're familiar. Cisco, one of the number one um, distributors in the whole United States. We got about 50 companies in the United States. Right. We got like two in Mexico, some in Europe, and people out there go out there making, without, I mean, without an associate, they're making up to $38 an hour. Wow. So, you know, you get at that to that. Whenever something like this happens, now I'm here, you know. Sure, this is a change. Yeah. Right. So just to recap what you said, you're working for Cisco, you're making, you know, well people that, that do well there are making thirty, forty bucks an hour and you have a certain lifestyle, certain way of doing things and a norm. And then if you get injured, life changes and you have to roll with that. And so uh, people like change, they, or people don't like change because it makes them uncomfortable. They, they fear the unknown. That's the real answer of why people don't like change. There's an old book now. It's probably 20, 25 years old now. Uh, it's called Who Moved My Cheese? Um, anybody heard of this book? Who Moved My Cheese? If you haven't read it or heard of it, very small book. Uh, I actually was at a book sale this past spring, and they had it for like a dollar or two. I've read it before. But um, you could get it at the library. In any case, it's a parable about two mice in a maze. And one mice, uh, well, every day they go to this place in the maze and there's cheese. Hey, yay, cheese, everything's good. They expect the cheese to be there. And then after a time, somebody moves the cheese. And the two mice go to where the cheese is and they realize, where's the cheese? It's gone, it's not there anymore. And so this illustrates uh, how people are. One of the mice uh, sits down and cries and complains and just can't get over the fact that cheese is not there. The other mice darts off into the maze, runs around, persists, and eventually finds the cheese and restores that norm that he had before. And so the, the moral of the story of this, it's a really simple parable, but it says in life, you're gonna have change occur that you can't control. That's just the way it is. But what you can control is how you react to that change. And so you can either be complacent, sit down and cry and complain about it, where you can get up and make the best of it and, make, and, and, and create change in response to that. And so very true parable, and uh, it speaks a lot to um, human psychology and the way people react to things. And so bringing it back to these roles of managers, um, informational, you want to know things, you want to be able to communicate that. You having knowledge as a manager gives you confidence, okay? If you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know what you're talking about, people come to you with questions, you run into this crisis of uh, confidence if you don't know what you're talking about. People look you square in the eye and they ask you, what do I need to do in this situation? And if you don't know, it's probably best to say, hey, I don't know, but we can figure it out. Because you're a person too, they realize that managers don't know everything, teachers don't know everything. I'm still learning, I learn stuff all the time. And so uh, being able to be transparent and say, hey, I don't know, Let's find out. The worst thing you can do is lie and say, try to make up something. Because not only are you risking that it's going to create uh, inefficiencies in the business, it could cause a harm if, you, if you're doing something that you don't know that could result in an accident. Uh, but also, if you're uh, communicating and you don't know what you're doing, people are going to not trust you. They're going to say, you know, Ryan doesn't know what he's talking about, so why should I listen to Ryan? Why do I go to Ryan? Because he doesn't know what he's talking about. So information is important and knowing how to disseminate that information is important. Being a good communicator, I can't stress how important that is in the workplace and in life. Uh, people want to know that they're listened to. You know, that's why looking, making eye contact with people is important. Um, and so the next role is interpersonal. What do you think that means? We talked about this a little bit. 
Dylan, Dylan employees, go ahead, it's Lewis. Good. <laughs> it's like, well, this one, God, it's pretty much meeting new people, having leadership and talk to people. Having leadership, being able to talk to people, right. Like, you should make, like, there's this thing that happens in organizations, and it's as almost happens in every organization I think I've been a part of. There are niches of, or, or groups of people that form together, and you might have a group over here that forms together that are friends and another group that forms over here. And one thing you don't want to happen as a manager is for anybody to say, oh, Ryan has favorites. That's horrible. Because it, even if I don't show preferential treatment to some employees, there's a perception of preferential treatment. So, oh, you know, well, I have to work Sunday and Julie has to work Saturday, you know, and because she's off Sunday, she must be Ryan's favorite. Even if there's no favoritism there, you don't want there to be a perception of favoritism. So you need to make an effort to connect with every employee on a personal level. But when I say personal, keep it professional. But there's things you can do to strengthen your relationship with your employees. Um, just ask them about their day. Ask them about their life. Ask them about their weekend. Talking about you know what they had for supper last night. These are normal human conversations that show that you care about them as a person. You're interested in what they do. You know, ask them about their hobbies. So what do you do when you're not working? Uh, these types of little conversations give you pieces of the puzzle about people's personality. And you can draw upon that as you develop that relationship with somebody. And so I have a belief that you can find common ground with anybody. And that's something I look for in a relationship that I'm trying to develop with colleagues, co you know, coworkers, students, and with uh, employees, you know, you're trying to identify something that you relate to. Hey, we all breathe air. Guess what? We got that in common. That's great. You know, we all uh, sleep at night, hopefully, most of us. We all like to eat, hopefully, you know, food's good. Uh, so there's some commonalities there, and there's something that you can find in common with everybody. And so, like, I, you know, when, I, when I'm talking to people, when I'm doing icebreaker activities, I'll ask them, you know, what did you, what did you watch recently, or what did you listen to, what are you reading? What do you like to go eat, you know? Speaking of going to eat, I always bring up food for some reason, like before lunch, and then I start getting hungry, so I'm, I apologize. But it's gonna happen more and more. We talk about food in this class, so. All right, so we're, we're knowing information, being able to communicate it. We're getting, developing our interpersonal relationships because developing those relationships builds trust. You, people will not give you their best effort if they don't trust you. If they don't think that you believe in them and they're trying to help them, they're just not gonna give you their best effort. I can tell you right now, one thing you could do to win with people is to help them win. That is how you win with people. So one thing you can say, I mean, you should just know going in that people are not very loyal to organizations. They, in today's day and age, people stay three to five years, sometimes five to 10, you know, but for the most part, uh, the data says that people jump around, you know, six to eight times in their career. That being said, if you know that people are looking for other opportunities constantly, you should say, hey, what are your goals and how can I help you get there? I want to support you and help you, you know, whatever your goal is. And if somebody knows that they've got an advocate, it changes things dramatically. I mean, I've got some mentors myself, and knowing that I have somebody that supports me makes a big difference. It just, it just really uh, gives me uh, additional confidence that I need. And so that last role is decisional. We talked about this. What is the decisional role and what does that mean? Making the right choices. What's that? Well, making the right decisions. That's correct. Um, so decisional, as a manager, you're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to uh, identify 
what uh, courses of action you could take and then eliminate the ones you shouldn't take and then pick the optimal decision. There are some ways that we can talk about that as this course develops. But um, ultimately, you do have to make decisions as a manager. And you have to try to make the one that is the optimum, does, you know, the least amount of, causes the least amount of harm, whether it's with people or the organization. And uh, that's something that develops over time as well. All right. So this is the slide we, we kind of left off on or we got to. And, and I wanted to stop on Monday when we start talking about it because there's a lot to unpack here. And so within the informational, interpersonal, and decisional roles, there's some sub-roles or some, I guess, hats. We know we talked about the hat idea, how you wear a lot of different hats within an organization. You're a coach, a counselor, a uh, cheerleader sometimes. Yeah, when I was at Walmart, I had to do the Walmart cheer. Does anybody know what that is? You have to clap, and like everybody starts clapping in a circle, chanting W-A-L-M-A-R-T. Give me a Walmart. Oh, no, no. It's just, and I'm looking at these, these employees, and they're all looking at me like, this is the worst thing I'll do all day, you know? Like, I mean, seriously, yeah. I mean, it's just, the culture is so different than I think it was in the earlier days. So, But informational. So under the informational uh, cap, there's the monitor, disseminator, and spokesperson. And these things uh, have different aspects. So let's talk about them. The monitor seeks or seek and receive information from a variety of sources web, industry journals, reports, and contacts. Monitors keep their ears open, their eyes open. They're trying to find out any information that could be positive or negative for the organization. So why do you think that's important to have somebody that's a monitor? So it's like What's that? Right. So a lot of reasons, yeah. If, if you have a competitor trying to step into their territory, yeah, like imagine like you're, you run a, a restaurant and there's only four restaurants in town and you've got somebody that's, you know, a monitor of that area. It's a franchise, but you got somebody that's a monitor and, they, and then you're reading in the paper that they're going to put up a new shopping mall complex or shopping center complex in the town and with that will be three or four restaurants because, you know, you're going to have one or two in the center, and then you're going to have two, one or two in the outskirts of the shopping center. Uh, in fact, I'm from, originally from Clinton, and when Walmart opens their little shopping center in Clinton, there's now one, two, three, four, five restaurants, six restaurants in the shopping center vicinity. There's a McDonald's, Arby's, Pizza, a Little Caesars, there's a Mexican restaurant. There's a and two Asian themed restaurants. So you got yeah, I mean six restaurants right there. And imagine so if you're the four, you've you've previously had the four restaurants including yours. Now you're going to double, if not more than double, the amount of restaurants that are going to be in town. And so if you're a monitor, you're thinking this is a threat to my business. You know, there's only so many dollars out available for grabs from business every day you know there's just there's there's a limit to how many dollars that people are able to to spend discretional spending on going out to eat and things like that so you have to be aware you know and when it comes to businesses like the restaurant they do in-depth studies and they ref they look at other in-depth studies on typical customers how much money does our typical customer make how many times a week do they go out to eat when they go out to eat where do they go why do they go there 
Uh, what do they order? There's just so much data they crunch into to try to figure out ways to draw customers in. And so has anybody ever filled out a survey on the back of a receipt at a fast food joint? You never done that for the free burger? You never done that? I've done that multiple times. Yeah, Hardy's had one recently where fill it out, you buy a sandwich, you get a big French sandwich for free. Um, I've done it for Wendy's, I've done it for McDonald's, I've done it for Burger King. And so the reason why they want you to fill out this information is that some of them are more detailed than others. Some of them take, you know, 10, 15 minutes, some of them are five minutes. But the reason they want that data is they want to know more about you, what your spending habits are, how many times you come, you come to the restaurant. I did one for Chick-fil-A, I got a free Chick-fil-A sandwich. And so they're trying to understand you as a customer so they can better try to target market you know, you as a customer. So monitors are important. Disseminator is a person who passes information on to others in the organization through memos, emails, phone calls, etc. So this is a person that, you know, you may have a monitor that reports to one or two people, and those one or two people may disseminate the information in the fashion they choose. Um, I'll say that the larger your organization is, the more these types of roles come into play because, as I mentioned before, as a manager, you may be the monitor and disseminator in the same person. Uh, the spokesperson transmits information to people outside the organization through speeches, interviews, and written communication. Yeah, the spokesperson, there's, they're the people that stand in front of the camera. That if you have an incident at a company, these are the people that come out and try to put a positive spin on it or try to you know, shed some light on it in a way that's least harmful to the company. So, you know, you see this kind of stuff all the time. When there's uh, an accident or there's some type of uh, error that occurred at a large company, you have a spokesperson come out and saying, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can to help. Do you remember when Boeing had the, was it the 747 crash? Was that it? It was a 737 or 747? It happened recently where... I think 200 people died, you know, in the past, within the past six months. You remember this happening to anybody? Boeing plane crash? Yeah. So uh, right after that happened, I mean, the stock took a hit, you know, because this, is the, this was the second occurrence of a major, that specific model of air, airplane crashing within a six-month period. There was one that happened last fall, one that happened in the spring. And so as a response to that, Boeing, you know, they said, we're going we're gonna to do everything, you know, we can to make sure this problem is fixed come out and start trying to put positive spins on it. But no matter how much you spin it, at the end of the day, people died, and that's a bad thing. And they died while they were, they were in your care. And so uh, that's, that's a major thing. And so, you know, that spokesperson has an important role. But just keep in mind what you're hearing from a spokesperson. You know, if you're the public, you have to always be, you know, beware of the, the messenger because uh, you're getting it from the source who wants to have you believe things happen a certain way. You know, I'm, I'm thinking back to the days of Big Tobacco when they used to have spokespersons talk about dangers of smoking, you know. And you had the leaders, the CEOs of major tobacco companies go to Congress and say, you know, I, I, I don't believe smoking causes cancer. And they all swear, swear this is the case, you know. Uh, but they have been shown that there was evidence to the contrary that smoking does cause cancer. And so, you know, you just have to be, be wary of spokes, you know, where the spokesperson is. Now... If you're a spokesperson for an organization and they're asking you to say things that you believe are not true, how do you, how do you think you feel about this? Because you've got a conflict of interest, right? These people are providing you with a check. That check you're using to provide means for yourself and your family. So they're asking you to do something that may be kind of a conflict of interest. You know, On the one hand, you want to be ethical and honest, but on the other hand, you want to keep your paycheck. You know, So... 
there's this thing called whistleblowers. You guys heard about whistleblowers? Yeah, and so you see them more and more come out and say, hey, I was asked to do this thing. I saw this corruption taking place, and I just didn't want to be a part of that. So even though I might take a hit personally, losing my paycheck, I want to do the right thing. So, All right, so interpersonal, there's three, I guess, subcategories under that. The figurehead performs formal duties like greeting uh, visitors and signing contracts and other legal documents. This is the person that, uh, you know, they're, they're a, I guess a figurehead, there's another good way to describe it, but somebody that's a icon in the company, you know, somebody that people look to and they kind of associate the face and the name with this organization. Like if I say Apple Computers, even though the guy's dead, you still think Steve Jobs, you know, or Tim Cook nowadays, right? If I say, you know, Amazon, Jeff Bezos is the, is the, is the guy that you think about. So um, a leader is uh, the other, one of the other subcategories. Motivates, trains, counsels, communicates, and directs subordinates. Leaders can come in all forms. You don't have to be a manager to be a leader. In fact, I've, met, I've been a part of some organizations where they had terrible managers but great leaders in the ranks. The people that just said, hey, look, I don't care what, you know, Julie says or Billy says, we need to do this because, you know, if we don't do this, we're not going to make it as far as our shift. And so they, you know, they have that leadership about them. And then a liaison maintains and manage information links inside and outside the organization. They connect to other people, organizations, and companies to be a go-between. So that's, that's what a liaison done. And then lastly, we get to the decisional roles, the decision makers. Under that, we have entrepreneur, initiates projects that lead to improvements, delegate idea generation responsibility to others, and identify best ideas to act on. Or sorry, identify best, yeah. So entrepreneurs, another like way or, or synonym for not but not entrepreneur is risk taker. So entrepreneur, you think risk taker. These are people that, that think, I've got an idea for a product or service or company that I think is viable, that I think the market needs. I think it fills a gap because there's something that people need that they don't have that I think I can provide, whether it be a product or service. So I'm gonna do what it takes to get that to market. I mentioned this before in other classes, but I love watching Shark Tank. My wife hates it. Anybody watch Shark Tank? She doesn't like it because of the stress and the anxiety of the pressure of the deals and stuff. And so that's why she's like, I can't watch the show. And I, you know, I love it because you get to see, so I mean, it's, it's kind of a reality TV show, but you get to see uh, somewhat what it's like to start and launch a product or service. And here's some stories of entrepreneurs that took a risk, they developed a product or service, and they're pitching it to venture capitalists who are potentially gonna invest in their company. So Shark Tank's a good thing to watch if you're a business student because it gives you ideas about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Even if you don't reinvent the wheel, if you don't take an, if you don't take an existing product or service, and totally change it around, you can still be a successful entrepreneur just opening a landscaping business or opening a car wash or something simple. You don't have to you know, create the next Facebook app or something. You, know, you could do something that serves a practical need uh, in a market. And you can, I mean, you look around, there's a ton of restaurants in Goldsboro, but there may not be the restaurant that you want to eat at. You know? So that's, entrepreneurs say that all the time. There was, I wanted this thing, I couldn't find it in the market, so I created it. And so you may say one day, 
I would open this restaurant because I think Goldsboro, even though it's got a bunch of good ones, doesn't have this one. Speaking of which, anybody grill out at home with charcoal? Anybody do this? You do it? Isn't it awesome? Yeah. Well, let me say this. When I grill, and I'm not, this is, yeah. I don't like, I don't like the gas either. Well, let me say this. When I'm, when I'm cooking at home with charcoal and I'm eating, like, I, you know, we, we make a nice meal, I'm thinking, why doesn't the food, when we go out, taste like this? Because this is, like, charcoal chicken, barbecues, or ribs is something special, let me tell you. And so I'm thinking the whole time, why doesn't a restaurant open up that just does it just like this, you know? They've got a guy out back underneath a tarp with some fans blowing on him and stuff, and he's just, you know, he's got a smoker going or – He'll smoke some meat and then char grill it for a second. I'm like, this is what needs to happen. And so I just don't see it in this market. I don't see it in Goldsboro. Maybe I'm missing it. Does anybody know anything like this? Yeah. What's that? What was that? Does anybody know of a business that does this? Yeah, there's a place in Maryland. My mom and dad live in Maryland. Right. They do that? Sardis. Sardis? It's like a Peruvian chicken. Okay. Yeah, the way they cook it, they do a charcoal. It's real good. Man. Oh, man. Well, there's a, there's a Peruvian place close to, Bra- close to the base. Um, it's uh, Los Fagonia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't that Peruvian? I mean, it's not. I mean. It's not as good? It's not as good. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Well, anyway, I see that as an unmet need in the market. And if I ever open a restaurant, if I'm ever crazy enough to do one, I can see me doing a food truck and just, you know, getting, just do it like one day a week to start. Getting up early, you know, getting some ribs, chicken, you know, that kind of stuff, some tenderloin, smoking it. Yeah, I can, I, I can see that. Yeah. See, I told you we talk about food in this class, you know. I mean, and I, now you're thinking about brisket and, like, and ribs, you know. So, um, so the next thing under decisional, we've got entrepreneur, then it goes to disturbance handler. They take corrective action during conflicts and crisis, resolve disputes among subordinates. And let me tell you, crisis is not good, but it's the opportunity for leaders to step up. It's the opportunity to say, hey, somebody needs to step in and take care of business and make sure things are, ha- are happening and everything's going to be okay. So that's when you really see leadership is during crisis. Um, resource allocator decides who receives resources, manages schedules and budgets, and sets priorities. So this, uh, this person is making sure that we're allocating our resources appropriately because we do have a uh, finite amount of resources and they want to make sure that we're using those appropriately. And then lastly, under the decisional role, we have negotiator. Represents a team, department, or organization regarding contracts, union negotiations, etc. So does anybody have an opinion on unions? Has anybody ever been a part of one or knows somebody's been a part of one? A union? No? So in my experience with unions, I don't have any direct experience, but... I was, uh, I guess, educated at Walmart to be anti-union. They were very anti-union. They were like, you can't even talk about unions because if you talk about it, we have to call a union hotline and then they send somebody to the store to investigate if there's actual legit union talk. And if a store attempts to unionize, they'll close the store and fire everybody. That's how much, of a, that's how much they don't want Walmart workers unionizing. And so, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings about it, you know, like – I think that employees, you know, don't get the pay and benefits they would they would they deserve. Uh, you know, and I have people that kick back on that and say, "Well, there's a lot of bad workers that don't do good jobs." Maybe true, but there's also a lot of hardworking people that don't get compensated fairly. 
Uh, so, but the other argument against it is if you increase everybody's pay, prices are just going to increase and it's not going to do anything. But, I mean, it might be a short-term fix, but eventually prices are going to you know, leverage out or the supply and demand is going to catch up. And so giving everybody a, a large raise is not going to make a difference at the end of the day. So I see both sides of the arguments and uh, I don't have the answer. I told you I didn't know everything, but... I think that it's important for people that do good work to fight for good benefits and good pay. So, All right, so let me recap this before we break up. We've talked about several things today, but we got to this idea, we're leaving on this idea that we have three roles, the informational, interpersonal, and decisional. And under the informational, we have monitors, disseminators, and spokespersons. Under the interpersonal, we have figurehead, leader, and liaison. And under the decisional, we have entrepreneur, disturbance handler, resource allocator, and negotiator. And when we come back on Friday, we will uh, jump into uh, another brief recap. And we're actually going to talk about some other things. Um, part of my, I guess, uh, it's not officially a, uh, I guess, thing I wanted to do with regards to my professional development. Uh, but I wanted to incorporate into my uh, things for this year discussions on personal finance because a lot of students don't know about credit score, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, investing, 401ks, savings, investing, that kind of stuff. And so we're going to recap the chapter but talk about some of that. And I plan to incorporate some of that into all my lectures because it's timely, it's important, and I'll say it's as important to know about personal finance as it is to know about management and other things. So, all right, guys, I appreciate you. Have a good day. See you on Friday.